Well, I got a question for you. Now, I, I know that uh, this is fall break and that uh, a lot of families um, are probably out doing other things uh, this weekend, perhaps, because, you know, when you get a whole entire week off from school, might as well go do something, right? Well, that's, that's, that's a good thing, and we're glad that some of the families can do that. But we have the remnant that's here today, and we're glad. I use that word remnant a lot, don't I? I kind of like that word, remnant. Um, I have a question for you today, though. Um, do you know what it means to depend upon somebody? What does it mean to depend upon somebody? You're kind of at that point in your life where you kind of depend upon some different people in your life. Like, let's see, would you say that you depend upon your mom and dad, maybe? What kind of things would you depend upon your mom and dad? for? What are some things you depend upon them for? Like, where does, you, where does your house come from? Where does your food come from? Do you think that maybe your parents have something to do with making it possible for you to have a house and to have food and to have heat and air conditioning in your house and, oh, maybe something like love and discipline and, you know, acceptance, you know, things like that. I mean, do you think we depend upon our parents for that kind of thing? Yeah, we do, don't we? Yeah. Well, you know what? And that's a good thing. And I, and I, I guess what I'm hoping that you will continue to realize as you continue to grow in your years of, of, uh, of as you mature in life, I hope that one of the things that you will continue to appreciate is the, how much your parents have have and your grandparents and all those people who have supported you in your life because that's what they've done they've all, all of it, it you know there was a phrase and I, I don't remember if it was some politician that uh, said this maybe it was one of the president bushes I think I don't know maybe it was Hillary Clinton I'm not sure who it was but there was there was someone out there that says it takes a village to raise a family and you know what that means I think in a certain sense it means that we all are mutually dependent upon one another in order to make life work I know those are big concepts, you know, mutually work together. But basically that means that we, we were, you know what God's original intent for us was? When God created the world, you know what God's original intent for us was? That we should all be family together. And that somewhere along the line, we've lost all of that concept. Not, not all of it completely, but a major part of our world has lost the concept that we are a f mutual family as God's creation. And that we are dependent upon each other. And I want you to somehow remember that, that, you know, God originally intended for us to all be family together. And that's what God really wants for all of us, is to be family together. I was at the, I was, I, I was at the concert in the park the other night, Kevin, and I heard you uh, say, uh, you, you, you lifted up that whole thing of the anniversary of the shooting in Las Vegas. And I, I, I appreciated what you said about, you know, that we are you know, we want to remember in solidarity and, you know, that we, we, are, uh, we are all one country, that we are all about being together. And, you know, I, th I think that was an important thing for, for you to say. And you had an active, you had a, you had a, you had a nice captive audience to do that. Um, so appreciate your words that you said the other night at the concert in the park. But again, it has something to do with that idea 
that we are meant to be family and that we depend upon each other to get along. And I hope that as you grow up in, in your years and as you mature, that you always remember that, that, we're, that ideally we're all supposed to get along and be family. I invite you to stand as you are able out of respect for our gospel today that we will have opportunity to hear uh, spoken to us out of the 10th chapter of Mark beginning at verse 2. Glory to you, O Lord. There were some Pharisees who came and tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus in turn replied and said, what did Moses command you. And they said that Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because of your hearts that were made hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And when they were in the house again with the disciples, the disciples asked Jesus about this very teaching. And he said, anyone who marries another woman commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. And while they were in the house, uh, people began bringing little children to Jesus to have him, them touch, touch the children, and, put the, and the disciples rebuked them for bringing the children. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. This is the gospel of our Lord. I invite you to uh, join me in uh, beginning our time of uh, meditation together this morning by uh, praying the Holy Spirit prayer either silently or aloud. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. God who by the light of the Holy Spirit who instructs the hearts of the faithful grant that by that same Holy Spirit we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in your consolations. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. One of my daughters, unnamed to protect the innocent, one of my daughters is a graduate student at a seminary in the state of Illinois, not going to divulge the town or place to protect the innocent. She's at a seminary, and I don't know if you know much about what happens at seminary, but I can tell you we do one thing a lot. We write. We write a lot of papers in seminary. I don't think I wrote so much in my life as when I was in seminary, and, and that's very much a process of how they teach in seminary. Um, you think about things, you discuss things, you, you have conversation, and you study, and you read, and then you write papers. Well, she will oftentimes call, and she will tell us about her latest and greatest writing assignment and oftentimes the topic that she is studying will be a multifaceted very complex thing such as theology and ministry and well gee let me see now let me see how do you write a paper on the complexities of ministry that's a good one that could be quite a paper in and of itself one that you could continue to write day after day after day after day the complexities of ministry in the church and she will oftentimes ask us, she'll say, what should my focus be? And that's the question that she often asks us. And after she talks through all of the different 
multiple approaches on how she could tackle this topic that she's supposed to, she's supposed to uh, write a paper on. She'll ask us what we think she should focus on. Well, that's kind of how I felt this week as I was reading and reflecting upon this text that's before us today. This is a very complex and a very, com- a very complicated passage, and I found myself asking that very same question, what should the focus of this sermon be today? And I began to ask myself, well, should I speak to you today from a historical perspective about this passage? Or should I speak to you about the injustices of male-dominated society that made laws that was convenient for men and for them alone? Yes, that is the world that was in existence back then. Should I talk to you about perhaps maybe the Pharisees and how their motive was to trap and to test Jesus? Or maybe perhaps I could speak to you today about the injustices of divorce and how it left women and children in powerless, vulnerable positions. Or maybe perhaps I should spend some time with a more law-oriented message that convicts us and makes us feel even more guilt about all the ways in which we as human beings have failed miserably. Or maybe perhaps I should attempt to do and have a more pastoral sermon. What should that focus be? Well, as I thought about all of those things this week, my heart kept telling me that I should attempt to be pastoral. And what I mean by that is I will attempt to be pastoral. Now, I did talk with a couple after church at the 8 o'clock service, and they said, well, that wasn't, didn't quite come across as pastoral, but you definitely made your point, they said. So we'll see how you think it is today. One of the things that I think we need to keep reminding ourselves is that the world that Jesus was born into, it was already broken The world that Jesus was born into, it was already a dysfunctional world filled with people with hardened hearts. God, in God's infinite divine wisdom, chose to come into the world as a vulnerable, powerless infant. There is something mind-boggling and very profound about that. And I think it tells us something about the very nature of God. That God would choose to come into the world as a vulnerable, powerless infant. Was God trying to teach us something right off the bat with that very way of coming into the world? I just find that profound. And then the incarnate God came into the world as an infant, and then he spent the next, I don't know, 28 to 30 years living in the midst of that brokenness. Sometimes I question the wisdom of God, and I think God can take it. It's okay for us to question the wisdom of God. And if you haven't done that, I'm giving you permission to do it, because God can take it. God can take your questions. God can handle your doubts. God can, an- can handle your questions about God's wisdom and how God operates. Because I don't know about you, but there's times when I want God to just come back and just get it all over with, you know? And just get this world straightened out. I don't know if it means having the world come to an end or else just have a lightning bolt come down upon the whole entire world and say, I've had enough! I am God and I've had enough! You hardened heart people! Yes, I do question the wisdom of God sometimes. You know, there was that 400 years of silence between the prophets and Jesus. Can you imagine what the world must have been like in that time of 400 years of silence? 
where there were no prophets and there were no voices for God. I mean, that's at least four or five of our lifetimes. And for people back in Jesus' time, that was many, multiple lifetimes. Did you know that 60% of all children in Jesus' time died before the age of 16? 60% of all children died by the age of 16 during the time of Jesus. How many lifetimes is that in 400 years? And then Jesus came onto the scene after having lived in this brokenness for about 30 years. And he began to bring the kingdom of God near to us. Jesus grew up in a society and a culture that was male-dominated. It was a culture with laws that allowed men to maintain and hold control over matters of all of life and community. Thank you, men. You did such a wonderful job. It was a society in which women and children were nothing in the eyes of men. You were property. You could just... You could write a writ of certificate of divorce and you were gone. You were out of there. You're nothing to me. You're a piece of property. The world that Jesus grew up in was a society and a culture with a communal reality that was far, far, far from that which God had intended it to be. Which begs the question then, what was it that God originally intended for us when it came for us to live together in relationship and in community together? And when we take a look back on the creation story, it's important for us to hear at least a minimum of two things. One is the word of God itself. God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper and a partner. And second most important thing to hear is that the very first words that came out of Adam's mouth is that when he saw this woman, he said, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. As one of my commentary sources Adam did not see difference. Adam noticed the similarity that this person was of him. He didn't see black. He didn't see white. He didn't see Hispanic. He didn't see Muslim. He didn't see anything else. All he saw was a person. He saw a human being that was like him. And he said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And this person's going to be my partner. This person's going to be my helper. And we're going to live together in mutual respect and dependence upon one another. God's intent for all of human beings from the beginning was that we were created for each other to be helpers and to be partners. So we are first and foremost, before anything else, we are bone of each other's bone. And that we're called to see our similarities and the sameness. And as David Lowe so eloquently wrote, the Creator's intention was, is that we be in relationships of mutual dependence and health. Something for us to seriously contemplate, that the Creator's intention was that we are to be in relationships of mutual dependence and help. I'm attempting to be pastoral. <laughs> you know, not one of us here is immune to broken relationships. All of us know someone who has taken and been in a broken marriage that has ended in divorce. And if you haven't, if you don't know anybody, then I think you're living in a closet. In my immediate family alone, out of four siblings, including myself, three out of four of us have gone through divorce. 75%! If I would have... If somebody would have asked me as a child growing up with my four, three sisters, if they would have asked me and said, are all of you planning on getting married and all of you planning on getting a divorce? Or did you know that three out of four of you are going to get a divorce in your lifetime? I would have said, what? We're worse than the national average, our family. 
75%, the national average is 57%. The reality is, is that failed marriages bring significant pain, not just to the couples involved, but to the extended families and to the communities at large in which they live. And the ones who perhaps suffer the most from this broken relationship are the children, because they are the most vulnerable and they are the most powerless. And they are the ones that suffer most because that pain lingers and it lingers for a long time. This text before us today, it is fundamentally a much broader theme than simply talking about divorce. It's a message for, to us all about the complexities of being in relationship and in community together. It's a message about God's original intent for us as human beings, as God's creation to be helpers and partners in this life together. Somewhere along the spectrum of time, that original intent was usurped by the hardened hearts and the turning inward upon what is best for good old me, myself, and I. For me, as I have contemplated and thought about this text, the thing that I continue to find helpful and hopeful in the midst of all of this is that Jesus is the inbreaking of God into an already broken and heart-hardened world. And I continue to remind myself of John 3, 16 and 17, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Is this not perhaps another time for us to ask ourselves as individuals and as a community of faith? The very question that Jesus asks of us to ask of ourselves each and every day, and that is that question that Jesus posed to us about three, four weeks ago when Jesus said to the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And that we can confidently affirm that Jesus is the inbreaking of God and the inbreaking of God's love for the world. That Jesus is the presence of God's grace and forgiveness, even in the midst of all of our brokenness. And yet, in the midst of that broken, human, hardened heart, that the presence of God in Jesus continues to break through and continues to gather us into his arms with his love, and touches us with his grace and his healing and his forgiveness. There is a reason why we gather here in this place, and we gather here to experience and receive the balm that has the power to heal that sin-sick soul. We gather here to receive the balm that has the power to heal that hardened heart, that brokenness. We gather as people to recognize and to acknowledge our sameness, our similarities, that we are first and foremost bone of each other's bone, and that the Creator's intention was is that we be in relationships of mutual dependence and health. That is the hope, that is the hope, and that is the promise that we take with us into each of our lives each and every day. The promise that the very presence of God continues to walk with us so that even in the midst of the problems and the challenges that we face, that we can be in relationships of mutual dependence and health. God's compassion, God's empathy, God's grace is present with us through others in our faith community who understand and who care and help us to discover and to live into this mutual dependence. 
I don't know about you, but I experience that practically every single day that I'm a part of this faith community. I like what David Loos asks of us to consider. He asks us this question. Can we be so bold and confident in our faith journey together to tell each other and to bring... Blah, 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 blah. Let me start over again. Can we be so bold and confident in our faith journey today to tell each other and to remind each other that we are communities of the broken but that we are those broken whom God loves and is healing and indeed making all things new. That was a question. It sounded more like a statement, but it's a question. Can we be that community of the broken where we can experience God's love and healing using that love to make all things new? And that's one of the reasons why I continue to pray that prayer every single Sunday. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. You shall make all things new. I leave you today with a post that was shared with me by a pastor friend from Wisconsin. I'm sure he must have used this in his sermon this week as well. There is no perfect life, no perfect job, no perfect childhood, no perfect marriage, and there is no perfect set of people who will always do what we expect them to do. What we have is a perfect God who is able to lead us through this imperfect life with unfailing strength, with incomparable wisdom, and with infinite love. Amen. And now go forth with this blessing. Go forth with, from this place refreshed and empowered to do the ministry to which God calls you. Travel lightly if you carry within you all that you need. Notice God's presence in simple everyday experiences. And whenever opportunity arises, labor for the good of all. And may the blessing and the joy of God, our creator, healer, and life giver, go with you today and always. Amen.